Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Ray Welker. I'm a cloud solutions engineer with RightBrain Networks, and I'll be your host today. Uh, joining me today, as always, is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Hello. And last but not least, we have our business technology consultant, Joe Coleman. Thank you so much for that excellent intro there, uh, Ray. Um, as always, if you listeners have any questions or any topic you'd like us to cover and touch on, just throw it there in the chat, and I'll be sure to interject uh, where I can. So thank you so much, Ray. Uh, also with us today, uh, we have a guest um, who is uh, one of my uh, one of my coworkers, uh, Todd Meter. Would you mind saying hi? Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Todd Meter, cloud solutions engineer at RightBrain. All right, and for today, uh, we want to talk about vending in AWS, and you know, provide some cost optimization tips. Uh, so we have a lot to cover today. Uh, it's definitely a broad topic. So grab your lunch and buckle up. So yeah, Tom, um, spending, right? We were just talking about this a little bit yesterday over yeah. Discord. Um, so it's a near and dear topic to your heart, right? Yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot lately. Um, not so much in, in the past, uh, but yeah, I've been working with some customers lately that have a, a lot, lot, lot more going on in their AWS accounts and where the spending, you know, the cost control really matters, right? Just... Uh, a minor configuration change that's, you know, not set properly and it's tens of thousands of dollars that, uh, yeah, a month. So yeah, it yeah, that's really you know, matter. The, the cost of, uh, gaining experience, right. You know, I, I always find, you know, uh, trying to optimize costs is always a, a journey. You know, you, you learn more as you grow and learn more about AWS, you find, you know, better ways to do things. And, um, you know, hopefully the goal is to, you know, reduce what you're spending overall i think but yeah and another thing too i've learned it's uh you got to think about it up front because even if you're not that big right now you know you don't want to over engineer and, and but you do want to think about it right if this is going to grow to to terabytes or petabytes or whatever um am i am i setting this up the indexing properly right it, to uh so so that it does work so that it will scale if it does get that big so yeah yeah, I, I I agree with that. You know, it's certainly an important thing to consider for any size business, yeah. um, and any any stage of where your your product may be. Uh, obviously, you know, doing things optimally up front is going to pay dividends and save you some some pain and money in the long run. Um, but you know, th there's never a better time to start than you know now. Yeah, I like I like what Grace said about it being a journey. Like, a, it's something you should always be working. Um, you reach way back in Johnny. My first job is at a fast food chain, where the expression was, "If you've got time to lean, you've got time to lean." 
you're just kind of kicking around your AWS account and you don't know what you should be doing today, maybe take a look at where you can optimize some cost, you know, there's always a place to find, to find wasteful spend. Yeah. Like security, right? There's always something that you can be doing, right? And uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. So um, I guess in your guys' experience, you know, what are some cost optimization tips that you've employed, um, you know, while you've been with clients or, you know, within your own, your own organizations or your own, your own AWS accounts? I can, I can start. Um, well, go ahead, Todd. You had something? Well, I think uh, one thing to, that I always like to call out is that AWS gives you a lot of tools you can use to track and control your spend. And some of those are not enabled out of the box. And it's pretty easy to, to just go in and turn those on and start using them. If like a trusted advisor is a good place to start, I think it gives you a lot of good cost optimization tips. It'll find things like idle RDS instances or part DIP elastic IPs they're just costing you money and that's just wasteful spend things like that that's a good place to start and uh getting into the billing console and getting comfortable with cost explorer definitely I feel like um getting the cost optimization report also set up is generally a really good kind of first step uh I've never seen a more detailed report in my life of how money has yeah. been spent in AWS um it can be a little overwhelming that, that definitely one, right i don't know if you want to start there but or, you know if you're, if you're getting your feet wet maybe like the the billing um dashboard is i think a little more easier to to follow but yeah if you want to that is the most detailed report i think i've ever seen in my life too to break yeah. down every every little thing yeah co-working i tried to set up some automations around that and uh do some some data interpolation in order to provide some reports, but we won't get into that in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, definitely like AWS offers a lot of native tools to, um, you know, understand and, and manage your costs and resources. Um, there's a lot of native products that are just there up front. They're not going to cost you any additional money to, to leverage and they just provide some real, important data uh you you mentioned the one there trusted trusted uh advisor um there's the aws cost explorer um i think there's aws budgets as well um so that kind of you know they're all there and allow for you to leverage them and you know create detailed reports and notifications about you know whatever you're uh trying to track whether it be a certain dollar amount you know you don't want to exceed um, you know, AWS budgets is there to, to notify you if you're getting close to that threshold, um, or cost explorer is there for, you know, optimizing your current utilization. Um, there's a lot of great tools there and, um, you know, there's third party tools as well. Uh, I, I, I haven't personally used a lot of third party tools myself. Um, kind of curious if either of you guys have. Yeah, we've used cloud checker as kind of, so I'm working with the managed service provider right now and. Uh, it, it just makes it look a lot nicer for our customers uh, to view their bills um, in a nice, concise way and also present that to them in like a little portal and everything um, that they can view without having to know too much knowledge about AWS and the you know permissions and all of that. So that's what I'm a little familiar with. It's it's kind of nice for what we use it for. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I know. Yeah, I know. I've poked around in, in Cloud Checker a little bit. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a nice uh, place to have a lot. If you're managing a lot of accounts for clients, that's a, a good place to have a lot of a central place to to see a lot of that information. Yeah. You know, one of the members in our community mentioned Vantage.io uh, as being a pretty useful tool in his opinion. Um, and I believe you know we have we have other mem members as well vetting Cloud Checker as well as a great you know tool for um, you know providing reports to clients. Um, I've used Cloud Health, which is a similar one, uh, AWS partnered one, uh, but that's the only other one I've had experience. And and generally, you know, I think I think they're very useful tools. Um, but you know, there are the AWS native ones that I, I primarily use, and you know, a lot of them are included. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of tooling out there that you know could provide you some value by identifying where money's going in your account. Um, how about some like strategies, you know, like overall strategies you guys use to identify and, um, you know, like when it comes to placing instances into, you know, proper, um, instance sizes or even, you know, the proper type, such as like on demand or whether it's going to be reserved or spot, um, and down to, um, I don't know. I'd kind of like to even talk about like the, the idea of moving to the cloud. I, I feel like there's a misconception that, the cloud is generally cheaper and going to save you money. Um, I think that's a, an important thing we should probably touch on during this. Um, but yeah, how about like some of the specifics? What, what are your guys' tips for identifying proper sizes for your workloads and or even the proper, um, you know, types that they should run on, whether it's an on-demand or reserved and so forth? Yeah, you know, I, I think you have to, you have to understand the application in how and how it's running um you know it's kind of hard to to just jump in and say yeah we're gonna need this reserved or uh you know use these savings plans um i, th I think you kind of have to run you know on demand for a bit and, and understand the the workload um you know whether you're migrating or or it's new or uh and and testing the different instance types to see you know how the the application runs um so yeah, a, a strategy is I, I would say you know have uh, you know split the split the traffic, try different um, instances. Like when we were talking about compute, um, yeah, do you have any strategies? Side Todd. No, I think that's that's right. I would usually start in demand until I had a real good sense of the compute that was being used, and, and always try to if you're. If you see that your utilization is staying under like thirty percent, then that's really a good sign that you're you overutilized. Yeah, I would say the best strategy that I've seen uh, isn't necessarily you know like a tool for identifying it. the The best strategy is the ownership, right, of the application and who owns the cost. That's usually the best driver of actually getting to it right because sometimes you'll have like a team that you know owns infrastructure or whatever in the cost and it's it's always like a, a back and forth right of yeah you can make these changes and optimize but there are there usually has to be changes done to the application itself to utilize the different um you know benefits of that aws has that can make things cheaper um, for, in a variety of ways, whether it's a, you know, a different instance type that, you know, different memory or, uh, processor. Um, so putting that ownership on the team itself, I, I see is, is a lot better, um, driver 
for costs and, and, and exploring those options and making those changes. Uh, and when I say team, I'm saying like the, the product team, you know, owning the end to end, um, you know, the, the, what DevOps used to be, right? Putting, you know, the ownership of the operations, you know, fully end to end security cost uh, of the application that they're running uh, is usually the, you know, that I've seen that has the best results of, of driving down costs and actually getting to change. Um, so yeah, I know it's not like a tool and a specific strategy, but that's, that's the win in my book when, when you make that happen and, and the team, you know, sees, oh, you know, we made this change and it's costing us more and, you know, they're prioritizing those costs right up along with, you know, the features and fixes that they're doing. That, that's the biggest driver for cost optimization that I've seen. And I think I, that falls kind of, sorry, right? I just wanted to go ahead say that. I think that kind of leads really neatly into how you would track that, how you can track that ownership, um, which is we're all tagging owners on all our resources, I'm sure. Um, but tags are really important. Um, in this instance, too, you can enable what's called cost allocation tags. So since you were all already tagging our resources with owners, we can enable the owner tag as a cost allocation tag, and that makes it really easy to sort that spend by those different owners in your cost explorer. Yeah, and and making it visible and transparent what the costs are, right? When one team sees that, you know, their costs are jumping up, you know, relative to like another team, uh, it kind of makes that like, you know, competition, right? When it's visible to the whole company. So it's, you know, if, if it allows it, I highly recommend making, you know, the cost transparent, you know, within your organization yeah. and, and what teams are spending um, and takes make it very, very easy to do so. So, yeah. Definitely make it visible. Um, a lot, a lot of companies are kind of afraid to do that, to have their employees seeing the spend. But if you're a developer in there spinning up instances, there you ought to be able to have an easy way to know what you're spending. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, like oftentimes I feel like costs, uh, focus on costs is driven downwards, like from, you know, uh, managers down to teams, down to, you know, product owners themselves. But I think, I think it's certainly something that everyone should keep in mind. Um, you know, you don't want to over provision your instance as well. Um, so if you are the developer choosing a specific in or the, you know, the infrastructure engineer choosing a specific instance size, um, I think you should have data driven metrics, you know, do, do I need, you know, this 4x large instance, for example, running an RDS, if we're only, you know, we can provide the same compute and performance on, uh, like a X large, for example, uh, that's just wasted spend and something that, you know, I think as, you know, a product owner, you should be aware of. So, um, I know, I know you can create, you know, like through budgets, you can create notifications based off of, um, you know, certain tags. So, so some notifying those, you know, those individuals of their usage, I think that's a really useful strategy. Um, and I think that all comes down to, you know, tagging, like you guys mentioned, uh, by, by having, you know, product owners as, you know, for team, team ownership on certain resources and notifying said team teams of what they're utilizing. Um, just kind of keeps your eye out there because yeah, it is always a, an evolving process of, you know, we want to better the app and probably make it more performant, but also reduce cost. Um, I wanted to jump back to your original po point there, Tom, but yeah, I definitely agree that on-demand instances are usually 
the best starting location. Um, I know Cost Explorer itself will recommend reserved instances for for services that are using on demand over a you know a given time to try to save you money. Yeah. Um, and those you know those those types of services that offer reserved instances are EC2, ECS, RDS. Dynamo itself uh, and Elasticash. I, I believe there may be some other services as well that they're bringing it to, but um, that's typically after some period of time where you can actually, you know, forecast that we're going to have a steady um, workload on this instance that you know you may want to put an RI out there for. Yeah, and, and something else that allows you know that better flexibility is the savings plan. So if it's you know compute that you're doing, you you know you might want to look into that before jumping into reserving specific instances that the savings plan really, you know, allows you to, uh, to be a lot, very flexible. Hey there guys, we actually got a couple interesting questions here. It was just, you were pretty deep in the weeds there, so I didn't want to interrupt the flow, but, uh, one of them, uh, we got a user asked, uh, what would the cost optimization technique be for his lambdas? He has 400 lambdas running with provisioned concurrency. Uh, it comes down to our, you know, you can't just answer that out of the box, right? You gotta, it comes down to the architecture, the application, right? How, how the, the clients are interacting with it. Um, you know, why do you need provision concurrency? It's usually like, you should usually should only be reserved if you're migrating an application to Lambda. Um, if it's out of the box, right? It's probably not architected properly if you have to use you know, provision concurrency for a new application. So yeah, there's a lot of, it depends on the architecture there, I'd say. Yeah, my, my biggest red flag there is that it's something that's constantly provisioned, which is maybe an anti-pattern for something that's uh, containerized or, you know, serverless. Um, so yeah, I would, I would mostly recommend some architectural, you know, <laughs> changes as well, or, you know, in, in, in review at least. Of, of how or why we're using that service first. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, we had another one. Um, seen some recent headlines where companies with large hosting footprints in the cloud are migrating back to on-prem uh, data centers. Um, companies are claiming that it's a cost savings as a primary driver for this. Uh, is this a trend in the industry or are these just some one-off companies trying to relive the old glory days? You know, I think, go. yeah, go I think down. it depends, right? You know, and the, the architectural decisions, you want to, you know, as AWS says, you know, offload your undifferentiated heavy lifting um, and, and focus on your core business. And you want to use the abstraction that is right for you and, you know, your workload, whether it's uh, cost compliance or whatever, um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of serverless if you can, and then, you know, slowly working down, but yeah, once you're a big enough company and you're spending billions of dollars, um, like, you know, tens or more billions of dollars, then it might make sense to run, you know, on-prem, or if you already have the infrastructure, it's not something you care about, um, that, uh, you know, I, you, you don't need highly available. You're just, you know, running some workloads and you, you already have, you know, uh, the infrastructure there, yeah, it might make sense to run some workloads um, on prem, but yeah, it's it's a lot of de a lot of depends, you know. Yeah, I would I, I would certainly say I'm a strong proponent of using cloud hosted services in general and in their infrastructure, 
Uh, because, I mean, typically the value of, say, AWS, uh, it extends beyond any dollar figure necessarily that you can you can offer because there's there's typically there, there's something called the cloud value framework which is um a three pillar methodology which involves staff productivity uh your operational resilience and business agility um and those kind of help you realize cost savings uh by leaning into these pillars they typically result in a greater overall cost savings than you know whatever you're initially trying to focus on being like the dollar amount of moving to aws um yeah I've you have to think head- of go ahead just going off that i've seen headlines where like oh the dell server rack costs this right and i'm paying this in amazon it's like that that's not one for one so yeah no and i mean like yeah you have to think of the cost of a data center like are you actually saving money by moving back to an on-prem you have to pay for a co-location you might have to pay for uh your isp a backup isp you have to pay for backup power you have to pay for the physical servers you have to pay for the operational costs the maintenance that it takes you know the engineer there racking and unracking servers require that you have multiple data centers right you have that aspect to it as well there's a there's a lot of factors that i don't think always get fully um realized when when making that uh, an analysis yeah but yeah i don't know yeah so yeah you have to, you so, have to i guess understand the business value of why they're maybe trying to move back to on yeah and a lot of the, you read in the news a lot of sensational headline too right definitely yeah the, the headline's there to capture me and draw me in right yeah yeah <laughs> wild for me is uh the biz dev guy i'm like wait why would you go back to on prep stop stop it <laughs> stop <laughs> you already know the the clouds where things need to be what is wrong with you um well, okay, have some, how many people listening have actually lifted a sun server but they're heavy guys it sounds very heavy <laughs> I uh, got a couple interesting notes here from uh, Adam. He said some KPIs worth noting when talking about hosting costs. Uh, track your hosting costs per account, um, i.e. the customers. Your uh, cloud spend might be skyrocketing, but if your hosting cost per account is going down, you have a robust infrastructure that is optimized for scaling. He said uh, another KPI is to look at your revenue growth versus your cloud hosting spend. If your cloud hosting spend is outpacing the revenue growth of your company, there's definitely a cause for concern. Yeah, Yeah. I definitely think those are some very... um important points to consider when maybe trying to, you know, discuss navigating, making that switch. Um, but I mean, I think, I think that kind of, you know, leans into the, the whole topic of is AWS actually cheaper than on-prem? Like, I think that's a misconception overall. Um, if you just want to move your workload to AWS, you're probably going to spend the same, if not similar, the same, if not a little bit more than you would by operating, you know, your on-prem infrastructure, but in the cloud, if you just kind of lift and shift. Um, the other, you really got to optimize thing, it. The other thing, too, is it enables for so much more. So sometimes it will cost more because now you have a lot better security, a lot better high, you know, high availability that you don't uh, usually see. You know, even when going from, like, the EC2s to serverless, um you may not have that redundancy that you're seeing um, with your EC2s that you get uh, by going to, you know, a higher abstraction, you know, some form of serverless. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people view it as a set it and forget it mentality. But but yeah, if you are shifting your architecture around and moving from something that's stateful to stateless, um, you're going to have some challenges along the way. And there may be some cost savings along the way of, of changing it but by, you know, reducing the overall um, uptime of, of, of your resources. But, um, you know, you, you, I think you still need to weigh whether or not your change is going to meet the performance needs that you're aiming for. Um, and if that cost change is worth it, you know, there, there's definitely a, you know, a conversation there that needs to be had, but. Yeah. Just to clarify what I was saying back there, right. And how it's a little different, uh, and how you can, so you want to make your production or your, your staging and development accounts as close as you can to production. If you're on-prem, that's very hard to do. But if you, you know, you're moving up the stack cloud EC2s, it makes it a lot easier and you might spend more money because now you do have, uh, you know, a more production-like um development environment so th that's what i'm saying like those little hidden costs that now it enables you to do those things very easily when on-prem you couldn't um so see, so yeah sometimes you'll see that where those costs kind of jump up because i can add that little bit of uh you know better development experience better security um that i had uh versus on-prem yeah Definitely. And I think that would lean into overall providing a better product. You know, if you're able yeah. to have multiple environments, you're, you're getting bugs out of the way earlier on in, in the pipeline rather than, you know, experiencing them in production. Yeah. Um, Those environments are disposable, right? Like as easy as I can build things, I can tear them down. And I mean, with AWS, you're only paying while you're using it to pay as you go miles. So. Yeah. Like when we were on-prem, we didn't have DR, you know, on the other side of the country. But now, you know, we went to the cloud and we have that option. It costs us a little bit more money, but that wasn't even an option when we were on-prem. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I mean, and, and AWS provides all the tooling to automate that for you. Um, you know, do I want to just shut this down at a given time? Yeah, you know, nobody's using dev after 5 p.m., for example. Let's just completely shut it down and it can go away. Or I can just destroy it all if it's infrastructure as code. Uh, you know, take a backup if we need it and completely wipe it out that's um definitely definitely the power that the cloud offers you i think outweighs you know operating back on prem definitely oh yeah um so i guess another thing you know uh, excuse me um so like some some real life challenges that we've experienced you know like what have you seen out there, Tom? You know, have you seen have you seen anything out there that you needed to, you know, put your expertise towards to help reduce costs on something or better optimize it? Yeah. So what I've been doing with, uh, most recently is around data and, and S3. Um, I, I've never got to play around, you know, a few terabytes here and there. But, you know, working with customers that have hundreds of terabytes, the uh, the data and how that's. Uh, the storage tiers that are used in S3 really matter and, you know, how they're being accessed. Um, so, you know, going back to what I said, you want to, even if you're not that big, you want to think about it because once you grow there and let's say, uh, you know, Athena is great and I've been using it a lot, but if you don't have proper partitioning, it can cost a lot of money. Um, so you want to think about that upfront. How are you partitioning that data in S3? Uh, so, you, you know, you don't shoot yourself in the foot down the road and it costs thousands of dollars to run a query, um, you know, 
versus you know pennies if it's properly um, partitioned. So I, I would definitely think about that uh, and, and how you're doing that. You know what your access patterns could be in the future, um, and then also definitely leveraging the different storage tiers. Right, they have the the fancy life cycle. Um, transitions that you can do with S3. So yeah, you're, you're never accessing data that's, you know, older than a few months and, and pushing that to something cheaper, whether it's, you know, infrequent access or even Glacier. Um, and that can save a lot, a lot of money. Um, even, you know, working with customers, it, you know, costs us thousands of dollars to transition it sometimes, but that costs over time, um, you know, they have to store it for so long for compliance reasons, uh, you know, out, outweighed the that initial cost of, of transferring because it does cost to transfer between the, the storage tiers, um, depending on how many objects, not how much uh, how much data is in there, but how many objects you have. So yeah, I, I had a lot of fun, you know, trying to figure out the cost optimization um, of uh, of the data, right, and moving that around S3. That's something that I've been in. So yeah, my advice is to to think about even if you don't have a lot of data, think about those those access patterns in the future, and and you know setting that up so for success it does does get big. Yeah, Tom, those transfer rates are really tricky. They they can bite yeah. you. Yeah, we decided up into Glacier all at once. Yep. It's a, it's a, you know, it might make sense for you to, you know, re-index it before it goes into Glacier, right, um, to, uh, you know, zip it up um, in, into to different uh, structures, objects. Yeah, it's, uh, it can be tricky, um, but at least, you know, in the beginning, at least think about how it might be done. You know, you don't want to over-engineer and, you know, spend hundreds of engineering hours trying to figure it out but there's little things that you can do to think about how it might be accessed in the in the future to really save yourself down the road speaking of data i, I think it is interesting it was i think in 20 late 2021 they introduced intelligent tiering to s3 and that was um a way between between moving between the different access frequencies based on uh usage um, and I know that there was no, there was no, um, transfer fee, uh, other than if it was moved to Glacier, um, is my understanding of that. But, but yeah, that, that kind of helps you place certain objects into, uh, the appropriate access frequency and autom automatically, which is, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, I had a similar one, but it was kind of justifying the cost of moving, uh, a relatively small EFS volume um, to or EFS file system to uh, a burst or from burstable throughput in, into an elastic uh, throughput. And I just thought it was, it was it was very interesting because the overall cost of moving that um, it, it's it's based off of your 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 read and your write um, gigabits or gigabytes per month. And and it was it was negligible. It was it was it was operating at bursting originally, and that wasn't meeting their needs as they were having some very spiky, um, some very spiky workloads. And uh, as soon as we moved it to Elastic, uh, it cost like about fifty bucks extra a month for a production file system. But it was a night and day difference in the performance that they received, um, just because they had more provisioned uh, throughput. And they weren't relying on these burstful credits. Just something that, again, wasn't you know optimized correctly from the start. Uh, that that really could have been um, better designed, I would say. 
Yeah. And going back to that journey, right? It's it's always changing, right? Everybody else is always coming out with different things. So yeah, you always got to be on the lookout and you know, what, what can benefit you and, and where you're at and where you're going. Definitely. Well, we are getting close to time. So uh, does anybody have any last comments or questions that they want to get in? I just want to throw out uh, two of my favorite things. CloudWatch logs can get really expensive. Yes. Logging a lot of stuff to those versus just sending it to an S3 bucket. And then the Elastic IPs, which falls under the EC2 other categories. Real easy to forget those. And if you only get charged for them if they're sitting there idle, you don't get charged while you're using them. So clean those EIPs up. That's an excellent takeaway. Yeah. I would just like to reiterate that, um, you know, that the best strategy, you know, that I've seen is, is making that the team, you know, responsible for the the costs, right, of the applications they're running. Um, it's, it never works out when it's a separate, you know, infrastructure department that's in charge of costs. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, yeah, putting the, the costs on the teams themselves that are running and owning those applications, um, that's that's my biggest takeaway. That's the biggest driver for cost change that I've seen. Yeah, definitely an excellent, excellent takeaway. Um, you know, with that, though, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today uh, for this episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. We hope you found the conversation informative and valuable. And we'd love to again have you next week uh, where Derek Youngie is going to discuss GitHub Action Runners on Kubernetes. Uh, certainly interested in, in what he has to say then. Uh, and as always, you know, the episode will feature some expert guests and interactive conversations. So be sure to stay tuned. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.